Does your anger burn fiery red? When you're sad, do you say that you're feeling blue? Have you ever felt green with envy or purple with rage? English speakers are familiar with these color metaphors, all of which rely on linking color with emotion. But where do those links come from? Are they universal, or do different cultures have different color emotion associations? And can colors actually make you feel calm or sad or angry? Will painting the walls of your house blue help you feel calmer at home? Is there a reason that so many hospitals seem to be painted a particular shade of green? And is there any relationship to the notion that green is associated with feeling sick to your stomach? Color psychologists are studying questions like these and others too. For instance, do people's favorite colors tell us anything about their personality? Are there universal favorite colors? Are there gender differences in how people experience or describe color? Why do we associate pink with girls and blue with boys? And more broadly, how does color affect human cognition and emotion? Welcome to Speaking of Psychology, the flagship podcast of the American Psychological Association that examines the links between psychological science and everyday life. I'm Kim Mills. My guest today is Dr. Domitzela Jonaskaita, a senior research fellow at the University of Vienna in Austria. She is an experimental color psychologist who studies the links between color and emotion and cognition across cultures and individuals. She's also interested in the role of color in aesthetics and art. In her work, she aims to use rigorous research to validate or debunk myths in color psychology. She has authored dozens of scientific articles and also writes a blog for the general public called Color Psychology. Dr. Jonas Skyte, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Are color associations universal? Do people around the world associate the same colors with the same emotion, or does it vary by country and culture? You've done some research in this area. Tell us what you found. So we actually wanted the same thing. Are the links between colors and emotions universal? So we started the International Color Emotion Association survey, currently running in 80 countries, and we have it in 46 languages, which sounds like an amazing, amazingly big work to do. <laughs> And we managed to collect data from uh, uh, over 15,000 participants. And now we kind of have an answer to this question. And the answer is, yes, uh, the, the links between colors and emotions are universal. Uh, so wherever you go in the world, you will find that people associate red with anger and love, yellow with joy, black with sadness, and so on. And of course, there are also some more culture-specific associations. For example, we know that um, red is a color of good luck in China. So uh, on top of these um, universal associations, they also have some specific associations like associating red with joy and um, amusement and more positive associations. So kind of our culture is shaping the universal, universally based um, color motion associations. And is that intrinsic or is it somehow learned? Because we're uh, many of us just exposed to these kinds of concepts. Yes. So um, it's not an easy question to answer because to know that we would have to look at um, at infants and they don't really have the language for colors and the language for emotions. 
So what we see in very in infant studies is that there is an immediate reaction to color red. So color red attracts attention and infants look at, the, at it longer um, and we can assume that they prefer this color. But does it mean that they associate with emotions? We don't know. And when we go to older participants, uh, we start seeing that these associations are emerging as children are growing up. And the older children get, the more the more diverse associations get, which means, which is kind of showing that uh, they are learning it over time through their, um, yeah, by being in society. And in fact, here fits in the research I'm currently conducting on blind participants, that even if people who have never seen color in their life, so they are blind from birth, they can still associate colors with em emotions in a very similar way. So again, we're talking about this universality and um, we are talking about the idea that color emotion associations are learned. I mentioned in the introduction uh, some color phrases like feeling blue when you're sad or being green with envy. Do you have any favorite color metaphors from other languages or cultures that maybe would surprise English speakers? <laughs> well, first of all, I wanted to comment on this feeling blue because this is the uh, metaphor that only exists in English. So when we go to other languages, we don't find it. And we find that people think blue is a very positive color associated with calmness, con contentment, relaxation. And even English speakers, in addition to associating blue with sadness, they are associating it with positive emotions. Now, um, talking about color metaphors in other languages. As we know, metaphors are notoriously difficult to translate. But uh, maybe I can mention one from my native language, language Lithuanian, where we um, talking about the degrees of anger through different colors. So if you are a little bit angry, um, you are white, and then you, you get a little, you get more angry than you are red. I think that's like the standard anger. And then you get furious, you get black. And if you are extremely, extremely furious, then you are purple. So languages can also code not only the emotions with colors, but also the intensity of emotion with colors. Can colors make us feel emotions? Like I'm wondering if you're in a red room, are you more likely to become angry or feel amorous? Or do you feel calmer if you're looking at blue or green in a landscape? Um, this is a very good question. I've been working on the links between colors and emotions for 10 years. And all, uh, every time we are researching them, we are just associating the actual, the color with the word of emotion. So it doesn't mean, these, this kind of research doesn't mean that colors make you feel anything. To do, um, to answer this question, we have to put people in spaces that are colored uh, through, let's say, VR or light uh, or paint. And then we need to measure their felt emotions. So there are very few controlled studies in this domain. And the ones that are there, they are showing very contradictory results. So in fact, it seems that uh, colors are not affecting our emotions that much, Espe especially they're not affecting them so specifically that if you are in a red room, you would feel anger. Yes, maybe you feel a little bit more excited. That's what one of the findings that we have. Red increases arousal, but uh, somewhat. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, the effects of colors on emotions are not so specific. So when we talk about all these links um, like yellow and joy or um, envy and green, we really talk, we are really in the domain of our minds. We're not really in the domain of felt emotions. So in prepping for this, I, I ran into some stories about the idea of drunk tank pink. And I'm hoping that you have encountered that in your work as well. Um, this 
came from some research years ago that led to some prisons painting cells uh, a particular shade of pink, thinking that it was going to um, calm down the inmates, but then later they discovered this was flawed. Can you talk about that research and what's wrong with it? Yeah, so you're talking about the Baker Miller pink. Exactly. Yeah, the Baker Miller thing. And um, so the original studies were conducted in the 70s, and they showed that uh, prisoners were supposed, supposedly got ca uh, calmer when they were in the pink uh, space. But in fact, uh, they didn't uh, really uh, run the studies the way we are running studies nowadays. In other words, the prisoners spent one year in the uh, in the white cells and then the second year in the pink cells. So obviously, when you spend longer in the cells, you are less aggressive. And in 2015, uh, Genshaw and colleagues uh, re-ran the study in uh, using modern methods in psychological science and they found absolutely no difference between the uh, white and the pink rooms for prisoners' aggressiveness. So we can say that um, that no, Baker-Miller pink is not reducing aggressiveness in prisoners. And yet today, one in five prisons in Europe have at least one pink prison cell. So what does it mean? We, can, um, we are implementing the findings that we are not sure about much faster than the science can run behind. And therefore, it's so important to run systematic studies and really understand the phenomenon before we are bringing them into uh, for our consumers uh, to my policymakers. So speaking of controversial studies, um, you've done some work in the area of chromotherapy, uh, which purports to show that certain colors might have healing properties. Is there any scientific evidence to support that notion? <laughs> um, a short answer is no, not yet. <laughs> Um, so uh, I will tell you quickly about the study we conducted. Basically, what we did in the study is we uh, showed participants, half of the participants saw colors and the other half of participants saw a white sheet of paper. And we measured their stress and anxiety before and after the intervention. There were also other aspects like music and guided breathing in this intervention. And we found that they are... Um, that their stress, uh, anxiety were reduced after the intervention than before the intervention. So it speaks as if the intervention worked. The problem was that this reduction was exactly the same for the group which looked at colors and for the group that looked at the white sheet of paper. So it means that it's not really due to color, but probably other aspects. I mean, we know that uh, mindfulness works, meditation works. So we just proved kind of the same thing. <laughs> but when it comes to color, no, it, 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 we cannot say that um, in this study at least color therapy worked. There are very few studies conducted in the area. And lastly, um, when we talked with participants after the experiment and we asked how they feel, felt, some of them, some of the participants who were in the white uh, condition, they said, oh, I wish I could have seen colors. It would have made, uh, made my experience different. And those who were in the color condition said, oh, you know, I closed my eyes and I was just listening to the music and breathing. So also, you know, people do what they do and there is no, there is no uh, biological mechanism how, um, how uh, colors, we're not talking about light here, we're really talking about, you know, a sheet of paper with color, how colors could change um, physiologically, um, yeah, our bodies. So no, uh, for now, there is not much evidence, but maybe, maybe in the future. <laughs> you, you just mentioned light, and I wanted to ask now, light is generally white in the sense that it contains the full spectrum of colors, and there's evidence that exposure to light can have an impact on our mental health. Is that related in any way to exposure to color? 
Um, yes and no. Uh, so you are talking now about daylight, and daylight contains um, kind of all the wavelengths together. Of course, we also have colored light. Like when we think about lasers, we can have you know any color we want. And um, what research shows, and it's qu quite strong, that exposure to intense light can uh, improve mood, even treat season seasonal affective disorder, so depression, seasonal depression. Um, and that also goes uh, to uh, to exposure to a specific frequencies of light in the so-called in the blue range. So we could say that exposure to blue light is uh, exciting, um, but that doesn't mean that exposure to a blue color is exciting. These are completely different things. We're talking at very high intensities of light, which we can only achieve with a light source. And when an object, when we see a color, we usually see it reflected from an object, maybe a wall or a piece of clothing. And you can never reflect light at the same intensity as the light source is producing. So... Uh, often when, actually this feeds back to our discussion about color therapy, often when um, there are claims made about color therapy, they talk about the light, but in fact they work with colors. And uh, this, these two aspects shouldn't be confused. And now here's a message from our sponsor. Are your subscriptions draining your bank account? Did you know that the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and might not even remember signing up for half of those? And most people think they're spending around $80 a month on these subscriptions, when in reality, the number is closer to $200. When you're signed up for so many things like streaming services you use to watch one show or free trials for delivery you don't use, it's easy to lose track of what you're paying for. And if this sounds like you, you need Rocket Money. It's an app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel these subscriptions you don't want with just the press of a button. No more long hold times or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does that for you. Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com APA. That's rocketmoney.com APA. Rocketmoney.com APA. Uh, let's talk for a minute about color blindness, which is fairly common, especially among men. About 8% of men have some type of color blindness. Do people who are colorblind make the same connections between color and emotion as everybody else? Yes. So um, I also conducted research on color blindness. And um, in our studies, we found that these men who, are, uh, who have color vision deficiency, they did associate colors and emotions in the same way, which is uh, very striking because they obviously do not see colors in the same way as non-colorblind participants. So what we think is happening is, is that they can name colors very well. Color blindness uh, doesn't mean that you don't see colors at all. Here we're talking about the dread green uh, 
dichromacy. Uh, so it doesn't mean that they cannot see colors at all. They only see a reduced spectrum, but through learning, um, through, uh, you know, uh, growing up in a society where we have colored pencils and colored t-shirts, they get trained how to name even very similar shades of color. They know that this shade of green is red and that shade of green is green. So when you confront them with a the color, they can name it at 95% accuracy and then they produce um, emotion associations which are similar to non-colorblind men. So this kind of finding really speaks towards the idea that color emotion associations are uh, are very conceptual. They really function at the level of our mind and not, uh, they don't have much to do with the actual perception uh, of the color, at least nowadays. Perhaps uh, at the beginning, you know, when they were formed, the, the perception mattered more, but nowadays it's really about... Um, it's really about uh, just um, linking the two. Actually, when we give, uh, we have some studies when we give participants a color word and they have to produce the first thing that comes to their mind. And when you give the word red, very often you get back anger. So that's it. The link is direct. Uh, whereas with yellow, we get sometimes joy, but we also get sunshine, sunlight. Or with blue, we get words like sky and uh, ocean. So here we have some uh, objects that have probably emotional connotations. If we think sun sunshine, you know, if we live in the uh, rainy countries, <laughs> uh, then probably being in a yellow sunshine makes us feel happy. So it makes sense that yellow is associated with, uh, with joy. But with red, of course, there is association with blood uh, or with, um, yeah, with blood. But um, the a link between red and anger is so immediate. It's so well established. And, you know, if there is one association that you can almost always find, find it will be red and anger. Have you looked at all into the Stroop phenomenon, you know, that, that test where it, yeah, maybe you have a, a sign or a t-shirt that says, it says red, but the color is green. It says yellow, but it's actually orange. And, and people's brains are not fully connecting because they, they don't know exactly what it is that, that, that they're perceiving. Have you looked into that at all? And what's going on in the brain when you take a Stroop test? Yes, yeah, so the strip effect is very interesting. Usually there is a color word, let's say red, and it's written in a different ink, let's say blue. And what people find easier is read the color words. They can ignore they ignore the color of the ink and they can just read yellow, red, green, blah, blah, blah. But what they find more difficult is to name the uh, the ink of the color because there is, we are so trained in reading things that there is an interference between the reading and the, um, the naming of the, 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 the thing we are seeing. Um, how this links with emotions, I don't know. We've never used the study. Uh, we never used this test in our studies. But my uh, prediction would be that in, when we ask them to link the words, probably they would have no problem associating them with emotions. Uh, but when we ask them to uh, link the um, the uh, colors of the ink, there will be this interference effect. But again, I don't know. We haven't run the study. <laughs> Well, let's talk for a minute about favorite colors. There are a lot of quizzes that you can take online that would have us believe that people's favorite color can tell us something about a person's personality. Is there any research that backs that up? Again, this is a very, very uncharted territories. <laughs> and... Um, when we started researching favorite color, uh, color preferences, favorite colors, we were stunned because over and over again, wherever you look, we find that uh, blue is the color that everyone likes. Or in other words, at least it's the color that no one hates. <laughs> 
Um, and this this finding, you know, has been reported a hundred years ago, and every study nowadays is still no matter where in the world you are, uh, blue is the favorite color. On the other hand, uh, colors like uh, yellow and pink are really disliked. Now, what does it tell about our personality? Uh, we we wondered this uh, we wondered the same, and we went online and we looked at different statements that are made. Uh, for example, it said that if you are if you like red, you are um, uh, an extrovert, and if you like um, if you like blue, you are a calm person. And it already made me think that okay, they are talking about the same kind of associations that we just talked before, like blue and calmness. But now they they are being translated into the personality domain, and it's never really. Uh, yeah, they had been translated into personality domain. So we uh, set, set ourselves to test this. We extracted uh, the most frequent predictions and uh, we collected data from 400 participants. Uh, they uh, set their favorite color. They also told, uh, they also completed the personality questionnaire and we tried to correlate the two. So, well, uh, to cut long story short, we didn't find any links between uh, one's favorite color and one's personality, suggesting that. Um, suggesting that it doesn't really matter what you like. Um, at the same time, um, you know, you, you find that 50% of people are choosing blue anyway. So there is not so much variability in the favorite colors. Uh, another thing that we find is um, that these predictions, let's say about a red and extroversion, they also apply to other colors. If you like orange, you're extroverted. If you like yellow, you're extroverted. If you like pink, you're extroverted, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so how can these uh, associations be specific anyway? So from the scientific point of view, in fact, all of these um, uh, claims do not make much sense. In contrast, what... What makes more sense is the colors that we choose to wear to signal certain things to people. So um, um, a study conducted by my colleague Chris in um, Rochester Institute of Technology uh, showed that uh, if you are looking at someone wearing red, you think they are more extroverted. So it doesn't matter whether they are actually more extroverted or not, but the choice of color is signaling certain, certain uh, properties and they have, uh, they have meanings in our society. Are there gender differences in the way that people experience color? And I'm asking because there's a stereotype that women notice and name multitudes of subtle shades. Like they'll talk about lilac and lavender and periwinkle, while men will just say purple or blue. Is there any science that backs that up? Or is that just a stereotype that's based on gender expectations? <laughs> Um, indeed, this is a very, I know exactly which mean you are, meme you are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I can say is that uh, there is a high variability in the number of color terms people know. So some know only 11 basic terms and others maybe know 100, especially when we go to specialists who have to use colors in their everyday life. Uh, but uh, when we, um, so there is this, this a very high variability, but there is not such a, uh, there is no difference between men and women. So some men can know a lot of colors and other women can know few colors, um, few color terms. So, yeah. <laughs> How did we end up associating pink with girls and blue with boys? Where did that meme come from? 
Yes, this is actually not a not a very old association. So this is about a hundred years ago in 1920s. It just popped up that suddenly um, society started coding, uh, kind of gender coding the kids before they were wearing white. And there is this uh, idea that there was a, a reversal in the association that in the past uh, boys were uh, associated with pink and girls with blue. So this is actually uh, not no so not so true. Perhaps people didn't really care so much about uh, coding their um, their infants with this color. And I cannot tell you where this association came from, but I can tell you that it's very prevalent. And nowadays, no matter, you know, not only in the Western societies, but also in other places, wherever you go, you find this, um, this kind of gender coding. And this is also reflected in color preferences. Very small girls uh, at the age of two, when their gender identity starts forming, they start liking pink and boys start liking blue. And uh, very interestingly, over over the years, uh, already at the age of five, um, boys completely avoid pink. So it's really about the pink. It's not about the blue. I, I just told you that blue is one of the favorite colors, <laughs> colors of everyone. So it's really about the pink that boys are avoiding pink and girls like both blue and pink. And with um, uh, and with time, this uh, this kind of gets established also in our language. We recently did a study on Wikipedia articles where we looked at um, word embeddings and we found that really the word pink occurs so much more often with feminine words than any other color term, whereas neither blue nor red nor any other color term was not specifically associated with masculinity. So it's kind of really, you need these two colors together to know what which one is for boys and which one is for girls. That raises the question of whether colors go in and out of style. Like you could look at a house and pinpoint the decade that it was decorated just from the color scheme. Um, are these just random fads or can you learn something from colors that are popular at a particular time? I guess this is a question for an interior or exterior designer. <laughs> um, because I've been talking about this universal um, association between colors and emotions, um, kind of universally found color preferences, and I don't think that they change that much um, uh, over time. It's really more more the uh, more the availability and every every um every generation wants to differentiate differentiate themselves from a previous generation and color is one of the ways of doing it and we see colors coming back over and over again if you think about this pink in the in early 2000 it was really the fuchsia the very bright pink that was popular and um recently it was a very soft shade of pink baby pink and then um Yes, there is another term for <laughs> this very, very soft uh, pink that was popular now with the Barbie movie. Perhaps another shade of pink will come up. So we kind of circling, we take, um, we take the same hue. So here we're talking about, you know, what people normally refer to color, but there are also other dimensions that are important, namely lightness and saturation. Colors, uh, hues can be dark or light. They can be, um, they can be, uh, very, very bright, very saturated, or they can be very grayish and dull. And this is what designers can do. They can take these dimensions and they can play with them and they can give you an impression that you're seeing new colors over um, yeah new colors from time to time when in fact they are just manipulating a few dimensions and i know you've done work regarding color in art and i'm wondering what have you found regarding the 
the presence of color in art, what is the, the meaning? How do artists choose color? Why do they choose what they choose? Yes, yeah, so this is another line of research that I am currently pursuing. And unfortunately, I don't have the data yet. Um, but what I know from others' research um, is that, um, for example, if you ask uh, people to produce artworks and you ask them to draw, draw anything, but that would represent a specific emotion, let's say anger or disgust, um, non-artist participants are using much more common color emotion associations, whereas artists are using much more uncommon uh, colors. So really, um, artists' mind is much, uh, have many more diverse associations, and they might combine colors in a very unusual way to perhaps evoke a certain feeling in the viewers or, um, yeah, to use kind of non-traditional colors. So it is very tricky to you to research um, color use in art because you don't know if they're using the color as the society would think or if they're using on purpose the opposite color, but they still know about the existing um, associations. But yes, um, this is uh, an ongoing research and I hope that in the future I will have more answers. <laughs> what are the big questions that you still want to answer and what are you working on right now? So currently, uh, as I told you, I'm working uh, on the research studies with blind people and I really want to understand to what extent uh, the meaning of the psychological meaning of color, the link with emotions, the preferences are um, determined by our society and to what extent we need to see colors in order to, to have any of these associations. Um, and I think uh, this um, preliminary data that I have on blind people is really exciting because it shows that Color is very, very important to them. They, they, for example, they say that they, uh, when they get, get dressed, they think that they, uh, they want to choose colors that are matching. They don't want to appear <laughs> as a clown, as one of the participants said. So it's really, it's a really much more high effort task than it is for a sighted person. They have all different ways of matching their colors. And then they know that uh, certain color symbols symbolize certain things. They say, I like blue, so I want to wear blue and I have to find this blue for myself. So really this research with the blind people is uh, opening uh, a new new avenue into the world of language and into the world of our culture. So to wrap up, let me ask you one unscientific question, which is what's your favorite color and why? <laughs> so actually my favorite color is red, not blue. And um, I don't have a reason. I think that's how it is with color preferences. Often people just like colors or dislike them. Uh, and that's how it is. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today, Dr. Jonas Skaita. It's been really interesting. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You can find previous episodes of Speaking of Psychology on our website at www.speakingofpsychology.org or on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. If you have comments or ideas for future podcasts, you can email us at speakingofpsychology@apa.org. Speaking of Psychology is produced by Lee Weinerman. Our sound editor is Chris Kondayan. Thank you for listening. The American Psychological Association. I'm Kim Mills.